Welcome to Moderately Independent. I am Joshua Halstead, and I'm joined, as always, by my brother, Michael Halstead. And now, guys, let's get political. Political. I wanna be political. Yeah, baby. Alrighty. Let's just jump into this. We got a whole bunch to talk about this week. And we'll start with something that I think is super interesting. I think Michael and I might have some disagreements here, but. As the rules are, no finger pointing, no name calling, no yelling, and no disrespect uh, to to the other people uh, at, at the table, we do have to politically and politely disagree here. And I know we will to some extent, but let's talk about it. So it's kind of entertainment news. It's kind of politics news. Wrong. <laughs> Already broke a rule. <laughs> uh, I think it's important to talk about. Uh, so Jenk Uger from the Young Turks. Uh, if you don't know Young Turks, they have been around for, gosh, I think 15 years now. They rose to prominence a little bit more around 2015, 2014 when the, when the 2016 election started going. Um, but the, they've been a big deal for a long time. Um, Jenk I mean, Uger I remember started seeing it. them even when I was in high school. Yeah, I mean, they're so huge. It's, it's been a while. Um, and they are a progressive news outlet um they're run on the internet they're a digital progressive news outlet um so michael and i think have different opinions on young turks in general um i don't agree necessarily with the politics i do like that they seem to be honest actors and that one they'll tell you their bias and two they'll report stuff that makes even progressives look bad which not many other news outlets will run stuff about their own party looking bad um but jenk uger who started it um, he has decided, um, he, he announced yesterday, uh, we're, we're recording this on Friday, um, so he announced yesterday, Thursday on the Young Turks show that he is now a candidate uh, for California's 25th uh, district's congressional seat, the seat that is that was vacated by Katie Hill. So there's a whole bunch to talk about here, but I want to kind of first off get Michael's opinions of, of Cenk Uger. Um, and, and sort of Young Turks and that thing before we jump into all of the details. Well, as far as Young Turks and all that goes, like you said, they they seem like they believe what they're saying. They're not trying to put up any facade. I don't agree with a lot of their politics. My problem isn't with the their politics or anything like that, though I do disagree on some stuff. I agree on others. I just don't really care for chank he seems he seems kind of pompous and i have a hard time listening to people like that i've watched him in a few different debates and i've listened to the young turks and i don't mind some of the other people on there though again you know it's it's me hard to find somebody with whom i agree completely i always like to hear differing views but it's hard for me to listen to him specifically just because he seems so cocksure of where he's going and it's like it, there's not room for disagreement it doesn't seem like when you're talking to him yeah so i i will say of the young turks hosts jank is one of one of my least favorites i don't have a problem with him personally um and i and i firmly believe that Cenk is probably a very good person i do find him to come across um very cocksure very very um pomp is very sure of himself i from seeing how he's interacted with people on a show i have seen because i watch young turks habitually multiple times where somebody has just has shot him down by going by saying hey let me speak now and he, and i've seen him realize that he's kind of overstepping and step back um but i i do think he is a little bit um full of himself but that being said the for me at least the idea of somebody who i think is genuinely a good person and who has strong morals and who'll stick to those morals and who's not going to play party politics that excites me uh we don't live in cali so we don't get to get to vote for this right we, <laughs> um but i think it's important to talk about because it could be a huge change in the political system and in congress if jank does get elected so he's running against another democrat christy smith who is of course um, a, a female who is a democrat who was endorsed by katie hill who stepped down um but a lot of people in the 25th district and a lot of people in general uh, who are democrats are saying that they don't like christy smith for numerous reasons the biggest one was that yesterday there was a shooting at a school in the 25th district and the difference in the responses from christy smith versus jank uger i think is extremely telling um 
Christy Smith put out a basically a two sentence tweet where all she said was thoughts and prayers to the families. And that's it. And the reason for that, in case anybody is curious, the 25th district is a purple district and one of the one of the topics where they consistently go conservative is on guns because she doesn't want to lose the district. Political advisors would say don't mention guns. So a bunch of kids in her district got slaughtered at a school. And the same day she did the Republican response of thoughts and prayers. Whereas I, I just want to interject here really quickly to counter one of your statements. Not that I'm justifying anything, but when you say a bunch of kids, I think it kind of colors the numbers here. Two people died. So three died. Three, three. died, and then a, uh, four or five were I think, injured. I'm not, again, I'm not saying, oh, it's not a bad situation. I'm saying I think numbers are more important than vague descriptors. Yeah, no, thank you for calling out. Not That was definitely an emotional appeal unintentionally. Um, but but her response was to say thoughts and prayers, whereas Chank, um, I don't have the tweet saved with me, and I should. I believe it had a lot more words. Yeah, so so Cenk's uh, response uh basically first of all he he says it's unacceptable and he says that gun legislation gun reform legislation needs to happen but then he also specifically and um uh i'm, I'm going to use a curse word quoting jank apologies if that's not your thing um he says you know you could just do it good place style no uh <laughs> not for this topic um he says the reason why nothing has been done about this is because of, and he specifically says in his just his tweet, his initial response, Mitch McConnell getting so much money from the NRA. And he calls it bribery in there and he says that son of a bitch has been getting bribes from the NRA by the millions to oppose any kind of gun reform legislation, which is true. Because we can have a conversation about whether there should or shouldn't be gun reform legislation. And that conversation is one thing. But for politicians who get the largest amounts of their donations for the, uh, you know, to, to be from the NRA is a whole other thing, a different kind of corruption. There's a difference between a political opinion and then having a political opinion solely because you're getting paid by a corporation or a um, association to have that opinion. That's called an evergreen opinion. <laughs> um, so he specifically calls it out. Now, again, I don't love that that Jank used. This is maybe old-fashioned of me at this point. I don't love that he used, A, an emotional appeal, even though I think in this case it might be necessary. I specifically don't love that he name-called rather than just calling out, um, you know, strongly but still professionally calling out McConnell. He chooses to, um, to, to use... Uh, to call him names and, and to, to be unprofessionalist. At the same time, Mitch McConnell has, at least in my opinion, has been the biggest stumbling block of any good progress happening in America for a long time. So I share Jenks' frustration and I, I want at the same time to call Mitch McConnell names, to attack Mitch McConnell because of things he has prevented from happening and the corruption that he has... Um, allowed to and, and, and almost, I think, um, has intentionally caused within the Republican Party. Um, but I, I'm going to stop talking and give Michael a chance here because I, I there's so much. I have to break it into pieces. How do you feel about the responses of Katie Hill versus Cenk Uecker uh, regarding the, the shooting at, at um, uh, I don't remember the name of the school, but at San Clarita School, which is in their district? Right. Obviously, hers was metered. It was a metered response, and I do think it is to try to stay in that politically purple area. I would lean more toward his response, though, again, and I, I understand the frustration. I try to keep emotion out of anything that I do, but of course, I'm not an emotional person, so that is much easier for me. Yeah, not so much for me. <laughs> um, so, you know... I don't know that I should put her down for it. I don't know that it was a bad move. They're trying to... Is... I mean, it's not a response that I would hope to give. But that's politics. I mean, that's not what politics should be. But that's politics, so I'm not surprised by it. Uh, I do appreciate that Shank was just... Here's my thoughts. 
it doesn't matter if you agree with me or disagree with me because I'm going to say them, and if I lose, I lose. I win, I win. Seems to be the attitude here. Which is I, what I appreciate about Jake. Right. Um, and, you know, there does need to be some discussion around that. I. It's a pretty complex topic. I know some people would argue that. In my mind, it's a pretty complex topic, and I don't think that calling people names and saying, do this, or thoughts and prayers are either really a great response, but again, you're on Twitter, so you've got, what, 240 characters now? Yeah. <laughs> you're you're making a quick statement on there. It's not going to be the place that you're laying out policy, and if she wants to address it, I'm sure that she will come any debates that are happening in the area or anything like that. So I'm not going to... I'm not going to look too too down on her for something in a in a tweet because you know I've seen what the president tweets and <laughs> it's nothing compared to that. We'll we'll just see what happens. We'll see what responses are going forward because honestly, Twitter is not where I go for political discourse. But and if that's where your politicians are responding, though, it, it sort of has to be at least part of the equation, right? Again, I can factor it in, but I'm sure that she will expound later. I'm giving her the benefit of the doubt that she's going to address in more detail her thoughts on this in some other venue. Yeah. No, that totally makes sense. I I think, and, and I probably mean more than you, although I can't speak for you, I share the democratic opinion of, uh, or I guess the, the democratic concern over people saying thoughts and prayers after shootings because it has largely been used by Republicans who are getting money from the NRA to not do anything um, and to not take any action on on gun legislation. And, And by the way, for anybody listening, I am not progressive on guns. I'm barely Democrat on guns, politically speaking. Um, but the idea that we need no legislation, that we don't need to have any, um, federal, conversation about like governmental conversation about this and what we can do is ludicrous to me and it's only happening none of these republicans think that there shouldn't be a conversation that's complete and utter bs the reason that there's so many republicans in one of this conversation is because they're getting so so much money from the nra it's the reason why i'm reasonably pro-gun and i still don't like the nra because i don't like i don't like corrupting politics with money um I, I, I will say I think Jenk's response, while I, I get the emotion and I can connect to what he's saying overall, I think it was maybe not the most political, um, politically correct way to say that. But this brings me to the question that I have for you that I think is going to be a big difference maybe between the two of us. Do you like or dislike him being politically incorrect and not doing things the sort of traditional way? Because for me... One of the reasons I like Jank as as a candidate, even though I don't agree with all of his politics, is that I like that Jank will say, these are the things I want to do. This is what I'm doing. I'm telling you now before you elect me so you know if you elect me, this is what I will do. No, no, that's – I totally appreciate that. Again, my problem with him is just that he seems very arrogant. But this is politics. I <laughs> – most politicians come off as arrogant. I, hell yes, I, mean, <laughs> I would likely not vote for him. But then again, I'd have to see who the the person on the other side he was running against was. Um, but I do appreciate that he's saying this is what I believe. This is what I'm going to do. He seems not to care how what he's saying is going to affect him in the race because ultimately he cares more about making sure that his views are known than winning and i think that's a good quality to have i just have a hard time with him as a person because of his arrogance so um i don't know if that answers your question <laughs> yeah i mean i i'm just curious yeah so my thing i guess well actually I, this will allow me to tie into the next portion of this um so a lot of talk online about if it's a good or bad thing that he is a loudmouthed progressive, right? That he's he's not going to sit back quietly and let the Democrats, the corporate Democrats, do what they want to do. That he's not going to um, sort of silence himself or play subdued. That if if Congress, uh, people in Congress, Democrat or Republican, do something he thinks is wrong, he'll be on Congress floor yelling at them for it, calling them out for it. Won't you know pull shots? Won't pull punches? 
um, is that a good thing or a bad thing, right? Like, because for instance, in Beto O'Rourke, Beto, yeah, Beto O'Rourke's words, like, hell yes, he's coming for your guns, except for that he doesn't want to. He's not trying to get rid of all guns. He's trying to force people to have a gun conversation, do some sort of gun reform, right? But yes, he's coming for your ridiculously overpowered guns. You agree or disagree on that, but but he's coming for specific portions of guns, right? He's coming for gun legislation. Um, he is coming for universal health care. Um, he is coming for women's rights, whether you agree or disagree with his opinion on it. He is coming for um, abortion rights. He is coming to prevent states. Um, so the abortion thing is going to be an interesting topic because I think both of us are way more conservative than Jank is. Um, but he's also coming for what he talked about in his announcement video on Young Turks um, to, to prevent states – there are multiple states that do this – prevent states from doing transvaginal ultrasounds after a woman is raped um, because there are multiple states that that is the, the law. That if you report having been raped, you are forced to do a transvaginal ultrasound, which is an invasive procedure, so that they can search for proof of your rape. Uh, which is, in my opinion, disgusting. Uh, but this is this is what Jenga is doing. Is he is saying no? These are exactly what I, this is exactly what I'm gonna do. Yes, I am coming for gun legislation. Yes, I am coming for universal health care. Yes, I am coming for women's rights. Yes, I am progressive. No, I will not take PAC money. No, I will not take lobbyist money. Period. Do you think that's a, a good thing or a bad thing to have somebody, whether you agree with this policy, to have somebody who's loud mouthed and going to get in there and say, this is what we are doing? No, I think that's a good thing. We should have that on both sides of the aisle. As long as there are two sides of an aisle, though, you know, that's a whole different discussion. But regardless of where you fall politically, that's that's something that people should be in there doing. They They should be standing up for what's right and and going after the people that are going for things that disagree with their morals, saying that this is wrong. Now, obviously, we're not all going to agree across the board on what is moral, what is the right thing to do. But if you really believe something, you should be out there standing for it. And I don't see a lot of that happening in the political sphere, uh, mainly looking up to the the federal level so yeah I, I would love to see people in there that are doing that yeah so for me that's one of the biggest reasons why um i obviously i can't vote for him um but at least why i throw my support behind jank is because i i want somebody whether i agree with their politics i want somebody in there who's doing that who's sticking to their morals who i know is a or who at least I, I, I strongly believe is a good person who's being open and honest and who's going to fight with all their might for the morals that they tell the voters they have. Um, but I want to I want to talk about a last little thing here, and we're going to move on to the next topic. Uh, the reason we're spending so much time on Jank is um, largely because it allows us to kind of tap on Katie Hill here and tap on what happened there. And I wanted to talk about... I, I think Jank is a good um, sort of symbol of the conversation to be had around loudmouth progressives, loudmouth progressive Republicans, because yes, that's a thing. People like that getting in there, right? So I want to have a conversation about how we feel about those kinds of people. Um, but the reason why this seat is open is that Katie Hill, who was a Democrat who turned a district that she still is a Democrat. Yes, uh, she's a Democrat who who turned a district um, that typically goes. They're a purple district, but they typically go Republican. She turned them, got them to vote for her, um, right? So the 25th district in California, she was doing a really good job, in my opinion. Uh, the reason she had to step down, she's going through a divorce, and um, a a basically a rumor went out that she was having sex with the staffer while she was a congresswoman, which was never substantiated, and she never admitted to. There's no proof for it whatsoever. The other thing, which there is proof of, but it is not a reason to step down, nor is it illegal, is that while she was running for the congressional seat, her and her husband were both in a secret relationship with another woman who was on her her staff. That, not a crime, not illegal, not a step-down offense. Um, so that came out, and she basically said, like, this part happened, this is a complete lie, there's no evidence for committing any crimes whatsoever. But the reason why this is something that's important to me is that, and her husband says to give his point of view, that his phone was hacked before this happened, whether or not that's true, we don't know, there's no evidence, but he says his phone was hacked. Photos that her husband had taken on his phone of her naked 
and having sex with him uh, well, well, with the other woman while he was in the room. Both he had taken were leaked onto the internet, basically his revenge porn. And Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, pressured her into stepping down. And when Katie Hill... So it was strongly believed Pelosi did because we know that she met with Pelosi. Then she said, Katie Hill said, that it would be a distraction from the cause. Uh, everything going on. And the reason why that's important is that distraction from the cause is the wording that every politician who has been pressured by Pelosi to step down has used. So for me, I find it reprehensible that a Democratic woman in Nancy Pelosi would be pressuring a woman who is the victim of revenge porn to step down from her position. Um, and that, I mean, that is why this position is open. It is because of that. And Cenk Uger is not quiet about that. He has been open about how disgusting he finds that and how he wants to get in there and basically his thing is listen corporatist democrats pushed katie hill out because she was slightly more progressive katie hill wasn't even uh, fully progressive she was more progressive than them um and they didn't want a distraction i mean so he says in his announcement video you're going to rue the day you forced out a woman because of revenge porn if you thought katie hill was too progressive for you just you wait uh, <laughs> Michael, how do you how do you feel about the Katie Hill situation there, and then how do you feel about um, the idea that that Jenk wants to specifically get in Congress um, to to sort of make Democrats pay for pushing her out because of revenge porn? I think the fact that they pushed her out like that was ridiculous in the first place. In what situation is revenge porn the fault of the person? that is being leaked of it's not and so to to force her to resign because of something that happened to her seems really unethical in my mind and so i see where he's coming from i like his statement again i do not agree with him on a lot of politics but <laughs> i think that he probably has a good chance down there and based on what we're seeing it does seem like Part of the motivation there was to keep that corporate Democrat stronghold that's there, and I would love to see that backfire on them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's and that's my thing. So I'm not progressive. It happens that on the issues we've talked about of Jenks, these are typically issues that I'm a bit more progressive on. But I am not in any by any means progressive. Um, but for me, the idea that Jenk is somebody who says, "Listen, what you did was wrong. What you did to Kitty Hill was wrong," and I'm going to make you rue the day you did that that's important to me um the fact that he called out mitch mcconnell in such a strong way that he didn't say you know my esteemed colleagues but said you know mitch mcconnell did this thing and it's wrong the fact that he refuses to take corporate money and i and i i would be willing to bet money on the fact that at no point will jang huger take any kind of corporate pack or lobbyist money period um that's part of why I, I like him as an option here even though i don't necessarily politically agree with him uh he he said something interesting where he talked about the purple the purple district i want to move on to impeachment here but i want to touch on this uh, talk about the purple district down there and he said that means he said that means their minds uh he said that means they're open-minded and trying to use their heads um, which is actually a really great comment, I think. But then he said, and this is the last thing we'll talk about about Jang, and then we're going to move on. Um, but he said, he talked about, you know, you think that money in politics is bad. I agree. And then he said, yeah, we need to get, you know, you can talk about the Koch brothers' money being bad and so that, right? It's like, it's bribes when the Republicans do it. And then he says, and we need to get George Soros' money out of politics and Mike Bloomberg's money out of politics because it's also it is also bribery when when democrats take it and he's standing by that and even the progressives who have said i won't take money from PACs because of corruption have to my knowledge none of them not even bernie or warren have specifically said george soros and mike bloomberg who are basically the cokes of the democrats um but jank just 
out the gate calls them out and says it's equally horrible when they do it. I'm not taking their money, which I think is super cool. Uh, do you have any final thoughts on Jank or are you good? You know, I, I think I'm good there. I will say that that is an interesting thing. They haven't called them out. Bloomberg is, I don't know if he is still, but he had been eyeing a run. Oh, he's running. He announced uh, But I know that <laughs> the, the Democrats do tend to like him. But again, yeah, there's lots of big money on both sides. And both sides only seem to care when it's the other side. So interesting stuff. And it will be interesting to see how, how Cenk interacts with that going forward. Absolutely. So let's move on uh, to the public impeachment hearings week one which is going to be an interesting topic. Uh, so guys, there's been so much impeachment stuff. We cannot cover all of it in detail. Please do not rely on us as your sole source of political news, impeachment news, anything like that. Um, I want to do an episode later on about how incredibly difficult it is to find just factual reporting of what's happening. It is buried on every news outlet. Um, so I'm going to cover the things that I could find that I think I, I, Michael and I will both have something to say about. And that's really all I could do here because it's it's, it's so muddled um, and it would take us hours to discuss everything. So let's start with Bill Taylor. Um, so Bill Taylor, um, William Taylor, he, he was the chief envoy to Ukraine. So he confirmed in his testimony, his public testimony, he confirmed a quid pro quo in which Donald Trump withheld funds from um, Ukrainian from the Ukraine, unless President Zelensky would publicly commit in a statement to the public, to American press, uh, that he was investigating the Bidens for corruption in the Ukraine. Um, William Taylor, of course, was on the, the, the now infamous call, so he, he overheard everything, and he said, no, there's no, no question about it. It was, pre, it was quid pro quo. Um, additional to that, he let congress know which he had reportedly not said in his closed door hearings he found out after his closed door hearings that one of his workers had overheard a call um between donald trump and uh um a a top government official who was working in ukraine uh in which uh donald trump was talking to that to that official who was partially in charge of, of Ukrainian policy. When they got off the phone, the the worker asked uh, that person what they thought, and they replied, Donald Trump cares more about investigating the Bidens than policy in Ukraine, um, which again, that is not necessarily damning evidence. It, that is actual hearsay. We'll talk about the Republican use of, of hearsay versus actual hearsay. Um, so that's the first thing. Um, so I guess let's start with, with Bill Taylor and, and his comments here um, about the quid pro quo and, and confirming that, yes, Trump withheld funds. We, we already know, but Trump withheld funds from Ukraine unless Vladimir Zelensky would publicly commit to investigating the Bidens, which, of course, he didn't do. So Trump withheld the funds literally until a judge ruled that he couldn't withhold the funds that Congress had sanctioned to go to Ukraine. Uh, so how do you feel about that? And then the overhearing, um, I think it was the ambassador to Ukraine. I could be wrong with that, but overhearing basically that call, right? Bill Taylor is saying that he they, that one of his workers overheard the call and then told him um, about the, um, the not the not the Ukraine call that's infamous, but the other call where basically the 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 ambassador to Ukraine said, you know, Trump cares more about investigating Biden's than working out the issues with Ukraine. Really, it's not a good look for us as a country. And it's definitely not a good look for Trump. Whether whether that part is impeachable, you know, I think that's to be debated. Wanting to do that over foreign policy, bad foreign policy isn't impeachable. However, there are other things coming out that definitely sound that they are. Well, the bribery uh, would be bribery impeachable. would be because that's, yeah. that's bribery and that's <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> but like you mentioned earlier, it's really difficult to get just the facts and so i'm i'm really looking forward to seeing i don't know if looking forward would really be the right phrase to use here <laughs> but i will be interested to see what facts come out through this process where this goes i think that impeachment is going to happen because right. it's going to happen we have a majority Democrat. in congress 
Well, not in Congress, in, 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 the, in the House. House that wants to impeach, that's going to happen. Seeing all the facts that come out, you know, more and more is being released. It'll... I don't know. In my mind, where if it continues on the trajectory it's on, I think there's definitely impeachable offenses. I think if some of what they're saying right now is true, there are impeachable offenses. It's just getting proof because none of that's been released to the public. And well, that's, that's the hard part that I always have is... In, if it's not released to the public, it's kind of, in my mind, hearsay. I, I want to be able to listen to these things and, like, just not take this person reporting what this person said based on who they heard it from here. Well, Will Taylor's first, his first portion with the quid pro quo on the infamous call, he was on that call. So that is first person first account. Right. Um, the other part, which I think, in fact, this is where I want, one of the things I want to talk about, we might have different opinions on. So... The term hearsay, um, I had to like look into this and listen to uh, lawyers talk about hearsay and everything because uh, if you haven't noticed, uh, people don't like making things understandable to the American public because um, they don't want you to think on your own. Uh, I'm not saying that as a conspiracy theory. That's just true. Whether it's Fox News or MSNBC or CNN or anything like that, they don't want you to think on your own. Which, again, is one of the reasons why I enjoy listening to Young Turks, even though I disagree with their politics, because they'll at least say, like, this is the facts, now this is what I think. Um, so, hearsay um, is actually, like, one of the most used evidences to convict in the American court system. Hearsay is not something that's unreliable. That's not what hearsay means. Um, so, hearsay is consistently used, but there's good hearsay and there's bad hearsay so good hearsay right anytime that it's just a testimony from somebody with no like hard evidence that is hearsay but that is also considered actual evidence that can be convictable in in a legal system so the difference is good hearsay bill taylor saying there, there was quid pro quo and by the way bill taylor points this out in his in his um testimony right like he refused to answer any partisan questions which one thing's like about it. so he was on there and democrats asked questions that were clearly partisan and he would say i don't know this is what I know, and reaffirm what he already said. And Republicans would ask partisan questions, and he'd say, I don't know, this is what I know, period. Uh, which is one of the things that I think makes him a more reliable source that could actually um, get to Republicans and Democrats here is that Bill Taylor said, I'm not playing your party games. I'm telling you what I experienced on the call and how I interpreted it, and that's all. Which I think is really important. Um, but good hearsay, Bill Taylor saying that the call he was on as a top government official who has served for years, uh, the call he was on had quid pro quo and that Trump clearly told the Ukrainian president, Zelensky, that he would not be giving him the aid funds uh, that Congress had sanctioned until and unless he investigated the Bidens. Good hearsay. Bad hearsay, the call he overheard, uh, or the, the, the call that he was told somebody else overheard, that's it does nothing you can't it's not good enough it makes trump look bad but it doesn't have an actual um ramification here other than just making trump look a little worse i don't think it's enough to change anybody's minds on trump anything like that but the i wanted to to highlight the hearsay thing because republicans on on every testimony of people who were in the room with trump who were on the call with trump all these different things is republicans going well that's hearsay no, no, no. Stop with that's hearsay. That's reliable evidence. Testimony from multiple people who are present during crimes related to this or this crime, if it is a crime, that is actual evidence. That is convictable evidence. Um, <laughs> I, I guess I'll give you a second to respond because I don't know what your thoughts on are on the, on the hearsay argument. Well, I would not lump first-hand accounts into hearsay that's not hearsay that is a first-hand account but under hearsay is under, i heard it from a friend who heard it from a friend who heard it from another you're messing around i well, thought that the aria speed wagon testimony but legally it is considered hearsay that that's what i'm saying is when republicans say that's hearsay and they're talking about that they're mischaracterizing what hearsay is because because hearsay legally does include that but that's that's evidence that's consistently used um, sorry, continue. I just wanted to, to clarify what I was saying. That that was my main thing on it is I would not consider first-hand accounts hearsay or eyewitness hearsay. That's not, that's not hearsay. That's something where they were there. 
Absolutely. So do you think that, and there's more, we're going to go into it, but do you think that Bill Taylor's testimony on its own, um, just the part about the quid, the quid pro quo and, and the, um, you know, him being present to Trump, not only threatening to, but we have evidence that he did withhold funds, right? So we know that Trump withheld funds from Ukraine, right? Right. And, and Bill Taylor is saying, no, 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 it was specifically, he said on the call, it was pre quo quo, it was quid pro quo, you will announce to American news that you are investigating the Bidens and then I will give you the funds. Um, does Bill Taylor saying that, does, does that mean in your mind, is that alone enough um, to impeach being that he's an eyewitness, he was there, he was, you know, he's, a, I don't think this means anybody's not guilty of any crimes or anything, but he was um, a military man who has a, who has a purple heart. He is been serving this country for a long time politically and in the military um and he refused to ask to answer partisan questions does does this portion of it enough is that enough for you to say he should be impeached or i think it's enough to continue looking into it again it it's hard for me unless it's a really cut and dry like yeah that's bad to say this is impeachable this isn't impeachable and that's why we have elected representatives, and I'm trusting that they're going to do their jobs. Yes. And if they don't, I'm trusting that the American populace is going to collectively freak out. Well, but we, I think we've been shown that the American populace will not collectively freak out. Um, that's, yeah, that's fair. I mean, for me, the thing is impeachment. I like to think that they will. <laughs> right. So for me, I mean, impeachment is a political move. And then conviction after impeachment is a separate thing. So right. politically, has he done enough politically that the political portion of this, he should be impeached? For me, I think the answer is yes, just off Bill Taylor's um, uh, testimony. But we're going to get into some more of what happened. Um, so George Kent, who was a top uh, State Department official who was overseeing Ukrainian policy. I misspelled that in my notes, but that is that is what he did. Uh, talked about uh, Giuliani's mission set forth by Trump to dig up dirt on the Bidens from the Ukraine, which he said specifically was not a part of official U.S. policy, but a personal mission. Um, so his testimony was entirely geared towards that, to the fact that Trump had said, so Trump keeps going, you know, well, Giuliani is just my personal lawyer. I, you know, I don't know that, that much about him. Trump, according to, to George Kent, who seems to be a reliable source, who again refused to, to really engage in party politics here, he said that Giuliani was sent on a mission by Trump to dig up dirt on the Bidens. Yeah, no, so... Here's what I'll say. If lying under oath is enough to get you impeached, hashtag 1990s, uh, <laughs> then there's enough to get impeached here. I was saying, if getting a blowjob is enough to... <laughs> whether is enough that you can be convicted of a crime hefty enough to kick you out of office, that's another thing. We've never gotten to that place in American history before. So that's the part of me where I'm like, ooh, what's going to happen, you know? And that sounds kind of bad because, well, having a president that gets convicted of a crime and kicked out of office would be bad. But we've never had anything proceed to this before. They've either not been convicted or they've just, you know, resigned. <laughs> so right. seeing... Seeing what goes on here is going to be interesting. Again, as far as impeachment goes, lying under oath seems to be something that Trump has done multiple times. And it, again, if that's enough to impeach Clinton, it's enough to impeach Trump. Right. Which, as far as conviction goes, you know that's that should be a more substantial process, and we'll see what happens because I'm sure it's going to get to that. I don't see Trump as the type to step down in that. He's just going to. I did nothing wrong. I'm the best at doing things correctly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he... So... <laughs> this wasn't even in my notes, but I... Your your response reminded me of this. I want to talk about it. Um, so, a couple of Democratic uh, Congress people um, said that um, it doesn't matter if Trump gets convicted. So the, the point of this is that because of the vast majority of... of um, the best, I just forgot the words. Uh, basically, be, because for conviction, they would need to flip two-thirds of Republicans, uh, or a third, a third of Republicans, uh, then it won't, it won't happen, which it most likely won't. 
Um, so they said, you know, well, it doesn't matter if he gets convicted because we need to. All we need to do is show enough American voters that he's guilty that they won't vote for him again, which I think is an interesting approach because I don't think they're going to get him convicted. Um, and, and it leads to the question of: Do I think he that he should be convicted? Yeah. Do I think he's going to be? Not a chance. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, this is one of those things for me. If somebody gets accused of, you know, I'm not saying I'm not comparing these in, in as far as how bad they are, because clearly one is worse than the other. But it, it goes to this end for me, if we're talking about conviction, because people keep saying, well, we don't have any hard evidence. Well, let me talk about hard evidence. If you commit rape and two or three people who are eyewitnesses testify that they saw you raping that person. That is considered hard enough evidence for you to be convicted of rape. Way more than two or three people who are eyewitnesses to crimes involving Ukrainian President uh, Zelensky and Donald Trump's relationship here, Trump withholding these funds, are testifying against Trump. To me, that is enough for a conviction. That just seems like it seems like the precedent is clearly set because if you if you murder somebody, if you rape somebody, if you anything like that, and and two or three eyewitnesses can place you at the scene and they're, you know, reliable eyewitnesses, you can be convicted for the crime because of that. So to me, this this seems like pretty cut and dry, but I, I do understand for Republicans who feel um, that the left has gone after them to such a degree that everything is over-biased, that they would feel like they need to stand up for their side here, um, but I think that it's a bad look. The, the last thing in this impeachment in this impeachment situation. We have to talk about Marie Ivanovich, and I, I, I don't even want to. Um, so Well, you're going to have to. Yeah. Um, so Marie Ivanovich, uh, there's a whole thing here. I just I was trying to take notes, and I gave up and just saved the article. Um, <laughs> so Marie Ivanovich testified today. Um, so basically... She said that um, she felt intimidated in the in the impeachment inquiry because of tweets that Donald Trump gave. I'll read those in a moment. Um, but basically, she was called to testify. And for people curious about why Yovanovitch should be called to testify, because she was no longer uh, working. Uh, she was no longer in office when the infamous call happened. It was because of a weird exchange. Um, and she hadn't even um, tried to bring this up. She was called by Democrats who knew what had happened. Uh, so she was called in the middle of the night while she was working in Russia as the ambassador. She was called by Trump, um, and he basically fired her over the phone while she was in Ukraine working on important stuff. Um, she was on a call with um, Trump and the president of Ukraine, Zelensky, um, where Trump said uh, – to Zelensky, don't worry, she's going to go through some stuff, which is on its own um, intimidation, clearly. And she said she felt intimidated by that. Um, but then before she went on to um, – before she went to uh, give her her testimony today, Donald Trump decided to tweet her. And I think we need to look at these tweets because it is – grossly uh, inappropriate, in my opinion. So, uh, so basically, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm pulling up the, the tweet. Uh, so basically, before she went up to do her her, um, her testimony today, Donald Trump, and he's been tweeting, by the way, all day um, for, for all three days. The, the hearing started on, on Wednesday, I believe. She, uh, he has been tweeting nonstop all day, every day about the hearings um, since they started. But, and he was tweeting about Roger Stone, who got, uh, it's all a mess. But basically, he tweeted this about Marie Yovanovitch right before, moments before her testimony. Uh, he tweeted, everywhere Marie Yovanovitch went turned bad. She started off in Somalia. How did that go? Then fast forward to Ukraine, where the new Ukrainian president spoke unfavorably about her. In my second phone call with her, with him, 
It is a U.S. president's absolute right to appoint ambassadors. They call it serving at the president's at the pleasure of the president, the U.S. now has very strong and powerful foreign policy, much different than preceding administration. It is called, quite simply, America First. With all that, however, <laughs> oh, I hate him. Uh, with all that, however, I have done far, in, in all caps, more than Ukraine, uh, for the Ukraine than Obama, which he, he, he just put an O for Obama, but I'm, I'm guessing that's Obama. Um, I don't even know where to frickin' start with that. Um, so, he has now been accused, quite seriously, by the way, not just accused of, like, you know, trolls on Twitter, accused quite seriously um, by actually some Republicans, but a lot of Democrats, of witness tampering here, right? Of trying to intimidate the witness. Because he tweeted that just moments before she went on stage. She did say she felt intimidated by that. So, first of all, and I'm not going to read her whole record on this podcast to be a waste of time. Um... He's lying. Um, she has her her track record is is pretty good. Um, I'm not gonna say it's great, and I'm not a huge fan of hers, but it's pretty good. It's certainly not everywhere she goes is is terrible. That's a ridiculous statement. Of course, it's a ridiculous statement. That's a ridiculous statement to make about any politician ever, right? With with the possible exception of Trump. Whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, the the assertion that every everything you do, everything you touch is bad is absolute nonsense. Um, so he tweets this out. He tweets that whole thing, and a lot of people have said, you know, that's witness tampering. You're trying to intimidate the witness. H how do we feel about that? Yeah, I mean, that is what it seems like. Cut and dry. He's... If not trying to intimidate, trying to discredit, either way, he's trying to cause a problem with her testimony, trying to make people doubt it. Either make her uncomfortable to where she doesn't testify well, or make people just not put any stock in her testimony. I don't think it's going to work, but it seems pretty clear that's what he's trying to do. Yeah, I mean, I think it'll work for for his most diehard base and, and basically nobody else. Um, they asked her about this in her testimony, and they asked her if she, you know, they, they, they said, you know, did you see his, his tweet? She said, yes, there's a whole conversation. She replied, and I think this is telling of who she is as a person. She could have said, yes, I felt very intimidating, very intimidated, and it was his intent, and he's horrible. Instead, she said, I cannot speak to the president's intent. But yes, it was intimidating. Um, so even given the opportunity to, on a national stage, say, yes, he was trying to intimidate me, she still said, well, I can't speak to his intent. I'm not him. I can tell you how it felt, how it seemed to me. Um, she testified very well, in my opinion. Um, and I think it's very damning for Trump. It's a bad look for Trump to be sort of tweeting those things in this case. Um, especially because I don't think that her testimony was necessarily pertinent to this investigation. He went on, you know, he, he, he went on Twitter to, to um, intimidate or to uh, talk down to or, you know, try to discredit her. But the issue that I have is that it doesn't to me seem that her testimony was necessarily important to this investigation. It was, as, as a lot of what the Democrats have been doing, to provide enough context and enough extra things to convince the American public that, yes, Trump is guilty, whether or not Republicans convict him uh, when it gets to the Senate. So this, seemed like, this seems like a bad choice, but also... It, it, the statement is so all-encompassing that it's just a, a ludicrous statement to make. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't love it. Um, no no big shocker there. Uh, we have a couple more things to talk about. They're going to be pretty quick here, so that will be good. Um, the first thing is going to be, I think, really quick. I just want to touch on it because I think it's important. We're not going to take too long on it. The Supreme Court has decided to um, basically look into three military rape cases so um basically they they accepted a justice department appeal to review 
cases of three men in the Air Force uh, who whose rape convictions were overturned last year, including one whose confession the Air Force recorded when top military appeals court found a five-year statute of limitations existed for military sexual assault before 2006. This is coming – that was a direct um, quote from CNN Politics. Thank you, CNN Politics, in this particular case, not in general. Uh <laughs> So I'm not going to read into the whole thing and, and go into the specific things here. Um, there's a couple interesting things to talk about before we move on. So I want to throw out the three things for me that stand out about this case. Let Michael say his piece. I'll respond to it. We'll move on. It'll be quick. The Supreme Court has, to my knowledge, not dealt with any sexual assault cases since the Me Too era began. So the first thing is, First of all, I think no matter what, no matter what you're following, it'll be interesting to see. But how do you think the Me Too era affects how this is handled? The second thing is that the government has been very lax in the past about sexual misconduct within the military, rape of, of um, indigenous peoples to different, you know, to the countries that military men are in, stuff like that. Do you think that's going to change? And do you think that should change? I, I know where you stand on that. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, the, the last thing here. Um, should there be... So one of the things is that there's there's now um, precedent set from uh, a few years ago basically saying that there should be no statute of limitations um, on rape cases within the military. Do you think that appealing these, looking into those... Um, do you think there should be a statute of limitations on that or no? Um, so, yeah, just your thoughts on should there be a statute of limitation? Uh, how do you think the Me Too era is going to affect it? And then the last thing here is now with Brett Kavanaugh in there. I don't know how you feel about Kavanaugh's uh, the allegations against Kavanaugh. But with Kavanaugh in there, at least as somebody who's been accused of those crimes, does that change how this goes? Well, I'm hoping that... In the Me Too era, this makes them look much more critically at this and you know, take people's words. Trust the women that they're telling the truth, but again, investigate and see what's going on. And if something is found to have happened, you make sure the person that did it pays their penalty. You know, um, as far as the statute of limitations, no, I don't think that there should be one. If you have done something that egregious, you should pay the penalty. It doesn't matter if it's been one year or if it's been 15 years. If you've done it, you should pay. And so hopefully what we see with this investigation is that they are putting their due diligence in, that they are investigating earnestly, that they are seeking truth, and that if something is found to have been done wrong, which I'm sure that it will be found, that those people are held responsible. As far as Kavanaugh goes, I don't know how this would affect that because, you know, <laughs> I would think that regardless of what actually happened, his stance publicly has been against that. And generally, politicians try to uphold their public persona. So... Yeah, I mean, I guess for me, the question is, does he... Does he feel – I'm trying to get out a word. So I believe personally that Kavanaugh committed those crimes. But let's say he didn't. Let's say he's innocent of those crimes that he was accused of. And now he has pity for anybody that is accused of those crimes because he's gone through that as an innocent person. Does that shape how he handles these? And I, I would hope not. I would suspect not. Um, again, to uphold public appearances, as, as Michael said. But I have my concerns, especially as somebody who, who believes um, the allegations against Kavanaugh in general. Um, I, I, I have my doubts on how that would be handled. Um, but that was all I, I thought was important to talk about because the government has been very lax in the past on sexual assault within the military that I wanted to address that this is a good step forward at the very least yeah um so let's talk about three quick things two of them are gonna be really really quick uh the first one's just a celebratory thing beryl o'rourke is no longer running for president yay 
Uh, there's no news. Uh, he just dropped out after we did our last episode, and I hate Beto O'Rourke, so we're celebrating. Yay! Uh, I don't think Michael likes Beto either. But. I don't, but I don't know that I'm going to do a whole celebration song and dance like you over there. <laughs> so here's... When Beto O'Rourke was running in, in Texas, I was a huge Beto fan. Because when he was running in Texas, he was actually running a grassroots campaign. He was going district to district to talk to people and find out what their issues were and find solves for that. He refused to take money from lobbyists, from corporations, right? All these things. It was great. As soon as he lost, he started taking money from uh, corporations. He stopped running a grassroots campaign. He joined the presidential run. He took money from corporations. He kept flip-flopping on his opinions. And then he would do stupid things, like instead of having an actual conversation about gun control, say things like, hell yes, I'm coming for your guns. Helps no one, right? Progressives go, yay! Nobody that's not a progressive gives a shh Nike that he does that. Uh, it's stupid. It's absolutely moronic. I'm not, allowed to, I'm not allowed to curse if I'm not quoting somebody, so I couldn't, I couldn't say it. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm happy. Because I, I don't necessarily lean progressive, but on specific things like money and politics i do and and he just lied to his base and proved he was a liar um so yeah better work have a great life be a congressman don't ever run for president again thanks good night uh the the next really fast thing it shouldn't be surprising to anybody but we're gonna talk about it cory booker is taking super PAC money because it's the only way he could get enough donations to be in the December debate. Hey, Cory Booker, drop out. No one likes you. Um, I'm sorry. I These are two candidates I really just like. Michael, uh, your thoughts on, on Cory Booker uh, taking super PAC money? I think if you say you're not going to do something as part of your campaign platform and then you have to do that to stay afloat, that's a sign that you probably shouldn't be running in this election. Yeah, I mean, this goes to what I've been saying about Booker for a long time, which is Booker is a corporate Democrat pretending to be a progressive. Just like Kamala Harris, he is a corporate Democrat running, you know, he's, he's a wolf in sheep's clothing. That's a bad call. Um, so yeah, I, I would love him to drop out. Um, but ultimately, I don't care when he drops out because I think the likelihood that Booker gets the nomination is incredibly low. Um, I, I I would say it's more likely, even though I believe he is pulling above her, I think it's more likely that Tulsi Gabbard gets the nomination than Booker. And I don't think it's at all likely Tulsi Gabbard gets the nomination. So let's talk about the last thing. And I think something Michael and I will disagree on and get to have a, a fun but short conversation about. Let's talk about Elizabeth Warren's Medicare for All plan. Uh, so I'm not going to speak for Michael. I know his opinion here. I'm not going to speak for him. I'm, I'm, I'm going to fight the urge to. Um, so Elizabeth Warren has been getting pressured by Democrats, by Democrats, to put out a specific plan for Medicare for All. For me, the reason why I want to talk about that portion of this real quick, no one is pressuring any other candidate to put out their platform on it. Because the other ones aren't exclusively running on progressive platform, except for Bernie, who's had his plan since 2015. Um, the other Democrats are all for medical, Medicare for all, or almost all of them are, but they're not being pressured to put out a plan. The reason is they don't actually care about Medicare, Medicare for all. They're not going to try to pass it. Media knows that. They're corporatist Democrats in disguise. doesn't matter. Warren is actually for it. So though she said in the past that she basically supports Bernie's plan with a couple of changes, they wanted her to put out a strict plan. They were saying she wasn't doing enough on planning, even though she's put out more plans than anybody else. Uh, by the way, to say this just so nobody confuses us, I like Elizabeth Warren as a person. I like bits and pieces of her political um, run. I'm not a massive Warren fan, and she is far too liberal for me, but... I, I'm going to call out BS when I see it, and I think that, that going after her for not putting out a plan on this, which is probably a plan for everything else, is BS. Especially when you're only doing it because you're corporatist Democrats. They just want to do gotcha journalism on the progressives. Uh, but she put out her plan, and it, it's big and, and complex. It's about 20 pages. Go read it online, please, even if you're not going to vote for Warren. Um, but to break, it, to, to break down the biggest part of it, the part everyone actually wants to know, is how you're going to pay for it. 
And she basically said by decreasing military spending, taxing banks, and then closing tax loopholes so that corporations and the rich have to actually pay their fair share of taxes. Things that the majority of Americans, whether they are Democrat or Republican, in general are for, except military spending might be a hard one uh, to pass there because both corporate Democrats and the majority of Republicans are kind of against decreasing military spending. They should be for it because the military gets a ridiculous amount of money. They're against it. Um, so she, she said that. that. She announced that a couple weeks ago. So I'm going to pause here before the the next piece of it. Michael, what do you think of her Medicare for All plan um, as far as, as what you've seen of it? And I mean, you know what Medicare for All is and everything. Um, and then her plan for, for paying for it. I don't know that I'm strictly for a Medicare for All replacement of health care. I think that I'm still on the free market thing. You know, make, make it available to people that need it within a certain income threshold but there's a certain point where if you're making enough money you don't need to be taking the government health care cutting military spending i'm all for that we like you said we do spend a lot of money there we spend far more than anybody else in the world our military is far larger than anybody else's i think we'll be just fine if we cut that a bit closing tax loopholes that's fine but i think that the scope is really the the main issue that i have because I mean, let's face it, the government doesn't do a lot of things effectively. <laughs> um, even Medicare not super well run. So trying to just replace you know, private insurance with that, I don't I don't like that idea. But removing removing the forced purchase of healthcare. I think that's a good first step and then if there's people that can't afford health care then we can use those that taxes from the tax loopholes being closed from cutting military spending to provide it to the people that actually need it as opposed to providing it for people that can pay for their own health care yeah absolutely so um i am i'm generally for medicare for all um i i totally see where you're from that and i to an extent agree um so I think it's interesting you talk about certain income threshold because she announced, I believe it was today, her plan for the first 100 days. And I think a lot of people, maybe even both of us, would say her plan for the first 100 days should, should just be her plan. Progressives certainly won't agree. Well, I think a lot of people would. Her plan for the first 100 days of presidency, by the way, First 100 days is something that wasn't even a thing that people used until Donald Trump. So thanks, Trump. But in her first 100 days of presidency, she wants to uh, roll out a comprehensive health care that provides a uh, comprehensive health care plan that provides uh, good health care federally to anybody who makes less than half what is federally considered a living or less than double what is federally considered a living wage, which is, uh, which would work out to about fifty thousand. So anybody that makes less than fifty thousand a year would get health care coverage comprehensively from the government for free. Um, which to me it sounds like you are saying, it sounds to me based on what you were saying that you would think that that's kind of just what her plan should be. Yeah, she's saying she wants to do that, and then by the end of her third year in office, roll out Medicare for all. I think a lot of people would be a lot easier to get on board if you just said that's your plan. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel about that plan? I don't get the first 100 days thing. Because, again, there's if we're seriously talking about the difference in pay between those that have money and have a, a substantial amount of money and those that don't, why do we need to provide free health care to those people? I'm making enough that I can afford my health care. I don't need free health care from the government. I'd rather that that money was used to provide better health care to those that need it than to provide cheaper health care to me. Right. Which is, you know, Buttigieg and a lot of people, in fact, I'll I'll bring it full circle, Jane Uger will say, um, so, so, so Buttigieg says we shouldn't have a solely health care for all system. What we should have is if you want federal health care, you can get federal health care, period. 
and it'll be good healthcare. But if you want to stick with your private company, you can. So people like Jen Uger will say, no, no, nobody wants that. That's not an option anybody wants. That's stupid. That's just to appease um, you know, the, 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 corp- the corporations. Here's the problem I have with that. I know several people, even progressives, who will tell you, well, I like my insurance and I would rather pay for my insurance because I like the exact insurance I have. I know what I'm getting and I'd rather stick with them. That might die off over time. In fact, it probably will. And then most most insurance companies will probably go out of business to become smaller, which I'm not saying is a good or bad thing. It's whatever. I think it's probably good. It could be bad. But I think removing that option from Americans is a stupid idea. Um, but I'm in general for Medicare for All as far as anybody has the option to be on there. But the last thing here about Elizabeth Warren's Medicare for All plan, and then we're going to wrap up for the whole day. Yay. Um <laughs> So she was asked specifically about if her plan will raise taxes on the middle and lower class. And she kind of avoided the question. And here's my issue. She kind that of said yes. Yeah. <laughs> so she, she kind of said yes, but she avoided or she kind of said no, but she av- she avoided fully saying no. The issue is yes. The answer is yes. You have to. There's no way you can afford this without doing that. What she should have done. The smart thing to do is just do what Bernie did. Bernie, every time he's asked us the exact same thing, and he's right. Bernie says, yes, your taxes will go up. But because you won't pay, be paying for insurance, the average American will be paying less overall, even with their taxes being raised. But again, the problem is if I want to keep my own, then that doesn't apply to me. <laughs> yeah. I, my I, taxes go up, and I still pay for health care. Yes, I agree. Um, I, I agree. And I think that's an important talking point. And I, I think as well, um, I think that there's a conversation to be had about, uh, what you can do to kind of try to offset that. I, I personally, when we talk about free college and about Medicare for all, it's not that hard to fund it. Here's how you do it. Cut military spending by 1%. <laughs> not that hard. Um, but yes, I mean, I, I, I think that it could potentially harm Warren that she kind of avoided the answer to that question, whereas Sanders will just openly say, yes, it will, but the average American will be better off for it anyway. Um, so that, guys, is our show. I know we went a little longer than last week, only by a few minutes here. Uh, thank you for listening to Moderately Independent. Have a great week, and we will see you next time.